doing very well today, I'm afraid. Not only will my printer not work, I have got the wrong reading. But I don't think, I don't know how I did it because I've got the programme and I've had it for weeks. Uh, but it will make sense, I think, even though I've taken Matthew's Gospel, not Luke's, and it's about the calling of the disciples and the calling of all of us. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to thee, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, it's not too late to wish you a happy new year. And I'm only just getting used to writing 2023. It's a new year, the church is set to readings, which do not have to be kept, which is a lovely refreshing change to come here. And we're following the book, The Whole Life Bible. I've got that right. So I've got the book and the reading from the book, but it's not the same one. <laughs> and it marks new beginnings. The beginning of Jesus's public ministry, which comes after that event in the synagogue at Nazareth. I have very fond memories of that readings because I have actually been to the place where it took place. I was fortunate enough to go on a church pilgrimage in 2011. So Jesus' public ministry began. It was a big change of life for those called to be Jesus' disciples. And the book calls it Apostles and Apprentices. It was a huge learning curve for them and for us too. For we are also always learning and hopefully also passing on the good news that Jesus brought to the world. In the church's calendar, we're in the season of Epiphany, the time from the visit of the Magi to the presentation of Jesus by his parents at the temple. Epiphany, the showing forth of who Jesus is, and that comes through in what we heard of Jesus saying in the synagogue. Two sentences from morning prayer in Epiphany are, God in Christ has revealed his glory. O come, let us worship. And this is the Christ, the chosen of God, the one who will bring healing to the nations. Now, those fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, in a way, they were the first people who recognized Jesus on the seashore. Did they know he was that person he was talking about? They weren't in the synagogue. Do we? Most of us do, or we want to know more, or I doubt if we'd be here today. In the ancient world, especially Greece, the would-be students or apprentices would choose their teacher. Here, the situation is reversed with the teacher choosing his disciples. We think of the clever people of Greece choosing their teachers, people such as Socrates were chosen. 
Jesus chose people who had no qualifications. One especially was a doubter, yet it was to these that Jesus trusted his message, who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, would begin to spread the gospel. And we are those people today. I often wonder if those four fishermen had already heard of Jesus from the teaching of John the Baptist, who comes into the gospel previously and who said, But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. We know from John's gospel that Andrew and Peter met with Jesus. It can be similar with us. I certainly knew about Jesus growing up as a child and going to church with my mother. But for me, I can think of a certain point when I came to believe in the existence of God who sent his son into the world to be our saviour, that it was true and should have a huge effect on how we live. I went to a teacher's training college in London and there was a house party arranged by their Christian union and who I was told to keep away from because there were a load of nutters <laughs> and the Christian union of the Royal Free Hospital and that weekend has a lot to be answered for. For others, their calling happens over time gradually. All ways of answering God's call are different. I was talking about the church I was at as a curate, a very amazing vicar who I'm still in contact with. And he just grew up knowing the existence of God. And as a little boy, his parents didn't take him to church, but a very little boy. Now somebody from the village just came and knocked on the door and said to his mother, would you like me to take Brian to church? So off Brian went to church and has never looked back since. But we're all different. Immediately before the calling of the first disciples, we had heard that Jesus knew that John was now in prison. And this was the moment here that he decided to start his ministry. And we had a prophecy from Isaiah in Matthew's gospel, which I was using, its lines are familiar because we heard them at Christmas. Land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In the time of Isaiah, as in Jesus' time, as indeed our, our own, foreign influences were abundant. Matthew is telling us, using Isaiah, that the Jewish prophecy has been fulfilled. Now, Jesus returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, which we heard about in our reading, and he went and settled at Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee and began to preach. These places are all very close together 
and again I was possible to visit the possible house where Jesus lived in Capernaum. And still, the waters there are the best fishing grounds. Sorry, I have just lost the place. <laughs> I've got it back. Preaching in the time of the New Testament meant the proclamation of certainties. Worrying thing for preachers today, but then we would not be here if we did not think Jesus and his message is true. He came to tell people the truth about God, to show them what God is like. And here by the Sea of Galilee, he calls those first disciples to help him in the task. And when Jesus is no longer with them in a bodily form, to continue his message. In the book of the Acts of the Apostles and the letters of St. Paul and other disciples, we hear how those first followers of Jesus laid the foundation of his teaching and preaching. This teaching eventually has come down the ages to us through other preachers and those who believed. It is by the Sea of Galilee that Jesus first calls Simon called Peter, a Greek name meaning rock. The Aramaic equivalent, the language Jesus spoke, is Cephas. Andrew, Peter's brother in Greek, means brave. Those brothers in the end were indeed that. They were called to be fishers of men rather than just fish. What was it about Jesus that made those fishermen change their lives so dramatically? Now, they would not have known anything about the stories of Jesus' birth, which we remembered at Christmas, or the visit of the Magi, both giving such huge clues as to who the baby was. They would probably not have been at Nazareth listening to Jesus in the synagogue. Two of them may have been present at John the Baptist's preaching or may have come to know something about John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. They did not know about the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, which takes place previously. Here he had confronted the powers of darkness and had won the battle with Satan. Now, as John's preliminary announcement of the coming of the Messiah was ended, the time for Jesus to choose his apprentices had come. As Tom Wright, the theologian, has it, it was time for the great light to shine. Yet those first disciples were called to be catchers of others for Christ. They must have recognized Jesus as that light and they drop their nets and follow him. Jesus needs his disciples at this point, as the next section is what we call Jesus' teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. He needs this to be known so it can be passed on. All this shows the great authority with which Jesus speaks 
and he calls for the immediate obedience of those he called. Those first four disciples obeyed. Do we, with such conviction? The word of God, Jesus, meets them in their everyday world of fishing, catches hold of them, and changes them forever. This unmerited, unexpected call of Jesus has a great cost for those first disciples. It was to be total abandonment of not just livelihood, but family. Peter, James, and John were to form the inner circle of witnesses at the Transfiguration and at Gethsemane, the best and the worst of experiences. The four brothers were the very first community Jesus began, very soon to be increased to 12. These 12 men recall the 12 tribes of Israel and would be messengers to the world of the kingdom of God and the founders of the church. In our time, we have this community of the church here in Southbourne. Their answer to Jesus' call comes before any healing or any other miracles, and certainly not with any idea of Jesus' death and resurrection. Yet those four apprentices left jobs and families to become part of something they did not know where it would lead. We know little of those first men who learned to be apostles, who after the crucifixion and resurrection went on to tell others of Jesus. But we think that three of them ended up dying, as had their saviour. John, who I presume this church is named after, we think went on to live into old age and his commission as apostle of telling others about Jesus has made its mark in the Gospel of John. And I have a picture of the first page of this from the beautiful Book of Kells on my landing. So I have a quick glance at it every day. I'm going to end by quoting from Jane Williams's commentary on this reading from Matthew that I used. I like Jane Williams. She's the wife of our former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rome Williams, and a theologian in her own right. And I have to say, I find her much more understandable than her husband. <laughs> this is what she says. Jesus doesn't even offer them any obvious inducements. There is no mention of fame, fortune, success, excitement. Instead, he offers them a mission, a chance to attract others as they had been attracted. Their acceptance starts the main chain reaction that has never quite fizzled out. It hasn't here. Despite many wrong turns and shameful misunderstandings, we continue to preach the puzzling, spectacular, strange, unearned foolishness of God who loves and saves us. Amen.